Hello, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Scott, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to be able to share the sermon with you today. We're wrapping up our series called Unlikely Witness, where we've been looking at what it means to share the gospel, the good news. Last week, we heard some great stories of how people discovered faith and hope and gave their life to Jesus. Everyone has their own story, including you, and so much of being a witness is just sharing your story with people. Today, as we close this series, we're going to look at two metaphors that Jesus used to teach us what it means to be a witness for the gospel message. And we'll find the text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. It's part of the great teaching discourse known as the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it out on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the most important observations to start with about this passage is that the word you here is plural, not singular. You folks might be a better translation. And Jesus is not just talking to individuals, but he's talking to a group. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to all of us together. And this plural notion is also embedded in the metaphors he employs. What good is one grain of salt? And a town or a city, by definition, is a community of people. Now, sometimes when we think of sharing the gospel, we imagine sitting across from someone like at a restaurant or a coffee shop or sitting next to somebody on an airplane. All the stories are about sitting next to somebody on an airplane, right? But whatever the setting, it's usually a one-on-one -on -one experience. So culturally, it can be hard for us to wrap our minds around this communal way of thinking. Commentator R.T. France notes that modern Western individualism is such that we easily think of the light of the world as a variety of little candles shining, you in your small corner and I in mine, but it's really the collective light of the whole community which draws the attention of the watching world. I grew up in a Christian family. My parents shared the basics of the gospel with me, but I don't think it would have, made all, it would have all made sense if we'd not been around other Christians at church. Even as a child, I had a sense that there was something very special about this group of people that I got to be with every Sunday. I felt a sense of safety and love. I wanted to be there. You know, these people were concerned about my life. They knew me. They were always offering to pray for me. It made the gospel seem true and real. And there were cookies every week. So there's something about witnessing that takes all of us together. Let's dive a little deeper into the text. Jesus says, we need to be like salt. Well, what does salt do? It flavors things, it preserves things, and it can purify things. But the main point that Jesus wants to make is that salt changes things. It adds something distinctive. That saltiness is what makes it special and useful. We are supposed to be different. To not be different makes no sense. It's like salt that's not salty. 
which is the point that Jesus is making. This section, translated as loses its saltiness, more literally means becomes foolish. To know Jesus and not live differently is foolishness. It doesn't work. It's a waste. So it gets thrown out. Because disciples have adopted the values of the kingdom and of Jesus, they are going to stand out. It's part of our testimony and our witness. If we have experienced new life in Christ and understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God, we should be different, distinct. Commentator Dale Bruner says it this way, there is something about the way Christians are, about the way they live together and talk about each other, and about the way they relate to the not always friendly surrounding world that is meant to catch the world's attention, that is to cause people to ask, what kind of people are these? Who are these people? In college, I lived in a fraternity. Now, I imagine you have a bunch of images that come to your mind when I say that, and sadly, probably most of them are true. But my sophomore year, I had started to date a girl who was connected to a group of Christians. And through my relationship with her, I got more connected to this group. And I kept noticing how different my experience was when I was with them. They valued respect and boundaries. Um, they asked me important questions and, and wanted to get to know me. Their activities and outings were really fun and creative, and they were concerned with others and how to make the world a better place. Let's just say it was a big contrast to my life in the fraternity. I was drawn to this Christian group in a way that it's hard to describe, but I saw a way of living that I wanted to live. Let's turn to the other metaphor that Jesus uses in the passage. He says that we are the light of the world, but the light that we shine comes from his presence in us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we reflect his light into the world. And Jesus tells us we should not hide it. It should be highly visible and seen. To shine our light so that people can see it means that we need to be involved in the world. People should see this light of life through our words, our actions, and our life together. Back to R.T. France, he says, Disciples, therefore, must be both distinctive and involved. Neither the indistinguishably assimilated nor the inaccessible hermit will fulfill the mandate of these challenging verses. Neither the indistinguishable person or the hermit is able to do what God wants us to do. Distinctive and involved, salt and light. Now let's look more closely at how we should be distinct and the kind of light we're meant to shine. At the end of Matthew, Jesus shares what is known as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything I commanded, says Jesus. But before the Great Commission, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. And he started with a concrete example. He washes their feet. We pick up the story in John's gospel. When he had finished washing the disciples' feet, he put on clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then a few verses later, he expands this example, making it into a new command. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. While many things might make us distinctive in the world, Jesus is clear that the main thing people will see and notice and experience is love. Love is the primary distinctive characteristic that people will experience, and it's what sets us apart from the world. Jesus showed his disciples what love looks like in that upper room when he washed their feet. And in that moment, he showed what love really is, sacrificing for the sake of another. Jesus would demonstrate that in a much bigger way when he went to the cross and gave his life the next day. Love like this was so important that Jesus made it a new command, not just a suggestion, a command. Love others as I have loved you. So Jesus tells us and shows us that this is what I want you to do and who I want you to be in the world. And remember, he's talking to a group. We, as a church, as a community, are to light up the world with sacrificial love. But is this what people see? I wonder if this is how they experience the church. And I wonder sometimes, do they even see our light? Do they see or know any followers of Jesus? And here we recall Cheryl's words a few weeks ago about proximity, about the need to be close, about the need to be distinct and involved with people in our world. We can be the most loving people in the world, but if we're not in relationship with other folks, how will they ever see it? How will they ever know? So when we witness as a community, we start from a different place. We start with invitation. We practice radical hospitality. Before we're concerned about beliefs, we, we say, come and see, come and be a part of our community. Now, to give you a picture of this, we need to turn to a famous evangelist from Ireland. And no, it's not Bono. Sorry, I'm a big U2 fan. We're actually talking about St. Patrick. Author George Hunter shares the way that St. Patrick ministered to the Celtic people of Ireland, especially the communal nature of how it worked. Rather than using individualistic forms like one-on-one -on -one conversations, Celtic Christians approached evangelism as a team. This ensured that Jesus' followers supported each other, pulled together, prayed for each other, worked out their salvation together, and lived out the Christian life together. In many ways, the life of the community became a vehicle for engendering trust among pilgrims and seekers. Celtic monasteries, unlike Roman ones, 
were built in the middle of existing towns and villages and offered practical goods and services. However, although the monasteries were monasteries, sorry, were deliberately integrated into the towns, these industrious, welcoming, and thoughtful communities also represented a distinct lifestyle. Their very architecture set the monasteries apart. Visitors would enter through a gate into a circular space enclosed with a wall, which signified an alternative way of life, free of aggression and violence and devoted to God's purposes, which the community would then model for the world. In this sacred space, interested seekers had a chance to see faith in action and experience a different way of living. They could evaluate whether the words of the gospel and the actions of the community lined up. And in so doing, they were captured by the sense of purpose and mission that defined and motivated Christian communal life. The Venerable Bede, a well-known historian of Celtic Christianity, was intrigued by Patrick and his Celtic methods that, and the things that they valued, or in some cases didn't value. For example, he was critical that the Celtic believers got the date of Easter wrong on their calendars. He was very into details, the Venerable Bede, but he praised the example they set in the way that they lived out their faith. He observed that they neither sought after nor cared for worldly possessions, but rejoiced to hand over at once to any poor man they met the gifts which they had received from kings or rich men of the world. They used to travel everywhere in town and country, not on horseback, but on foot, unless compelled by urgent necessity to do otherwise, in order that they walked along as they walked along, whenever they saw people, whether rich or poor, they might at once approach them on behalf of Christ. If this sounds familiar, it should. Listen to this description of Jesus' followers from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So both for the Celtic Christians and those early believers in Acts, the way we live in community, the way we express love with one another brings credibility to our story and to the truth of the gospel. And the only way for people to see and notice and experience this kind of love is if we know them and invite them into our life together. As we've noted today, we've been called to be visible, engaged, and welcoming. The city on the hill metaphor takes for granted that the job description of the disciples is fulfilled not by personal holiness, though that's good, a good thing, but it includes the witness of public exposure. So we need to be visible in the world. People need to see us and how we live. We invite them not just to church, but into our community and into our lives. The Apostle Paul expressed this thought when he was writing to the Thessalonian church. In a tender address, Paul says to them, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 
Paul shared the good news, but also the day in and day out of his life, showing these new believers what it looked like to follow Jesus. Like Paul, we need to say, come into my life or my life group or my community. Walk with us. See how we live. See what a difference the gospel makes. If you think about it, the 12 disciples were with Jesus all the time. They watched him interact with people. They witnessed all the stories that we read about in the New Testament. But imagine all the other things they got to experience and see. What did Jesus do when he got annoyed? How did Jesus deal with sadness or anger or disappointment? And on and on, or just boredom, right? A few years ago, I was learning from a ministry that had some really interesting thoughts on how to make disciples. The folks who were teaching had taken this idea of inviting people into community very seriously. Some of these teachers went to the point of inviting people to actually come and live with them in their homes. They wanted them to see their whole lives, the whole picture, how they lived, how they worshiped, how they parented, how they used their time and spent their money, every aspect of their lives. Now, imagine if you brought someone into your home who was curious about following Jesus and they knew nothing about what life as a Christian was supposed to look like. What would they see in your home? Now, I realize this is a bit extreme for probably most of us and probably a little terrifying if we're honest. So I need to say that you do not need to have a perfect life to invite people in. None of our lives are perfect. We say it a lot around here, nobody's perfect. This is not a perfect church or a perfect community. But actually, I think it's important that people see our imperfect lives. They need to see that we have to turn to Jesus regularly and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I need your grace again today. I screwed it up and I'm totally dependent on you, Jesus. I remember talking about community with some folks that were in a group that I was in a group with for a short time. We were struggling because anytime we had them over to our house, we felt like we had to clean it up and make sure the kids were on their best behavior and have everything vacuumed and, you know, all the rest. And I remember this couple saying to me, you know, Scott, this is unsustainable. You don't need to clean all this up for us. Just be you. We can all pitch in and help be together. And maybe we just grab pizza and we could help you fold the laundry that's sitting on your couch or maybe even entertain your kids for a few minutes. And I can tell you to hear that was a great relief. Maybe there are barriers when you think about how to invite others into your life. But remember, it's not about being perfect. It's about saying, I want you to be in my community. I, you matter to me. I like you. I love you. And because of that, because of what Jesus has done in my heart and my life, I want you to know what I've experienced too. And I want you to see me live it out. So what if our houses were little beacons in our neighborhoods? What if people knew and were drawn to your home because of the love they saw there? Don't we all know people in our neighborhoods that we have affection for, that we feel drawn to? I believe God brings people across our paths for reasons. And every time you meet somebody new, maybe ask the question in quiet prayer, God, why is this person currently showing up in my life? Maybe it's a chance to draw them into the community, to invite them in. 
What if our church campus was a place in our community that people felt drawn to, where people knew it was a safe place where they could be loved and cared for, to ask their questions and experience something that they need in their life? Now, that doesn't mean you just drag people to church and say, good luck. I know that's sometimes how it goes. No, this is saying, you're in my life. I'm going to check in on you. I want you to come to church because that's where we all gather and get filled and experience Christ together as a family. But you're not alone. You're part of something bigger. One of the things we do as a family on birthdays is to have dinner together and spend some time going around and having each person in the family share an affirmation for the person who has the birthday. We simply say why we love them, what makes them unique, why we think they're wonderful, stuff like that. Sometimes we go out for our birthday dinners to a restaurant. And I remember one of these occasions, we were out and sharing at the restaurant, uh, going around our, our little circle, but the restaurant was empty and the waiter was coming to our table a lot. He didn't have a lot to do. And I remember that towards the end of the meal, he came by and I could tell he wanted to say something. So I asked him if he was okay. And he said, you know, I, I just want you to know how special this is that you do this as a family. I really wish my family would have done this for me. It was a vulnerable moment. And it dawned on me that we can't take love for granted. You know, a simple time of affirmation seems like kind of a low bar for me, but I realized that love is not the norm in our world and people are hungry for it. And we know the greatest love of all. So this week, as you consider how to be a witness to the gospel, maybe consider who you might be able to invite into your community or who you might be willing to invite to church or to your small group or even into your family. To close, I wanna leave you with this. You know, we cannot give what we have not received. The gospel starts all the way back to the promise God made to Abraham. I will bless you and make you a blessing for all the families of the earth and through you, they will be blessed. We are blessed first. And then out of that blessing, we can be a blessing to others. We can welcome people in because we have been welcomed in. We can love because we have been loved. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he showed us what love means. As the apostle Paul says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the good news that the world needs. You are far away, we are strangers, and God brought us near. He took us in, he made us part of his family. He paid the price. We are loved and we have hope. And all we need to do is share what we have been given. And we get to share it together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for paying the price, for making a way for us to know your love.
and your hope. For putting your light in our hearts, we pray that together our light would shine into the world, that it would open our eyes. We ask that you would open our eyes to people who need to be welcomed into the life of our community. And God, help us to tell our stories and share your love with all those who need to hear it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.